0: Welcome to the Saturday Blitz podcast with your tailgater crew, John Mitchell and Zach Begolke. Welcome back to the Saturday Blitz podcast, everybody. I'm Zach Begolke, here once again with John Mitchell this week. This week, we're going to be talking about the FCS, looking at the lower tier of college football's Division I as we begin our season previews for the 2019 season. We're going to also be looking a little bit specifically at historical black colleges and universities in the spirit of some of our earlier discussions in the podcast. So on that note, I'm looking forward to all of the conversations ahead of us. How are you doing this week, John?
1: I'm doing really well. Just, you know, everything's been hectic and everything, but you know, always nice to take the time to be able to do this every week. Really excited to gear up for our 2019 previews, even if, uh, the FCS, I'm maybe not as well versed as you are, Zach, but I'm I'm really interested to pick your brain on this sort of thing too.
0: Yeah, I, I, I always love looking at the little guys. It's uh my avenue I like to, to to plow down. Um so yeah, I'm really excited looking at this. Obviously every year I'm looking at both the celebration bowl and the FCS playoffs. Um so yeah, first of all, I you know, I just kind of the big thing that's there for me is the top two teams that everybody's really talking about are the top two teams that have, have kind of dominated the FCS in recent years. And that's obviously North Dakota state and James Madison. And what's really interesting about that for me is the fact that both of those schools have new coaches. Um, You know, Chris Kleeman is going, going to Kansas state or he's already at Kansas state, I should say. And, you know, we've seen that happen before at North Dakota State where Craig Bull was there before and Kleeman took over. And so I don't think it's necessarily something where um, we have to really worry about what's going to happen under Matt Entz, who's the promoted defensive coordinator there. Um, You know, more concerning for me is losing players like Easton Stick, You know, they've lost a lot of really veteran talent on that team. And if any team at the FCS level can reload, it's a North Dakota state, you know, reload rather than have to actually rebuild. I don't necessarily think that's going to be a major issue for them. And I think at the same time, having some continuity at the coaching level is a great thing. On the other side of it, James Madison has, you know, brought in a new coach. They've, you know, brought in uh, Kurt Signetti from um, Elon. And, uh, you know, it looks a lot like Mike Houston coming in from the Citadel in that you have a coach coming from a weaker program and really taking over sort of a well-oiled machine and a good coach who sort of, you know outperformed expectations at their previous school. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. Two very different approaches in terms of new hires from these schools. But both of them are very much still in the hunt.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) And it's kind of interesting, the different approaches, I guess, to the coaching changes. you got Kurt Signetti, who really before he got into the head coaching ranks, was a really decorated assistant coach at the FBS level at places like Pittsburgh and NC State and Alabama, known as a really good recruiter. And surely that's part of the reason James Madison really wanted to bring him in is for his recruiting acumen and the ability to get, you know, high-end talent at the FCS level. But it's kind of also interesting to me that, you know, he didn't have a ton of success at At Elon, I mean, you're talking about he went 14-9 and in two years, back-to-back playoff appearances, but also back-to-back first-round exits. So you're talking about a guy who takes over a program in James Madison, who, like you said, has been one of the two best programs in the FCS over the last several years, really nipping at North Dakota State's heels. So I'm interested to see how that transition works there um, and if he's able to win enough at that level because obviously the expectations have just ramped up for him going from Elon to to James Madison and on the other side of things it's hard not to think that North Dakota State is still the favorite (coughs) to once again win the FCS title their their dominance would make Alabama and Clemson blush like that's the the way they've been able to dominate in a true playoff format too Zach I know you have some thoughts on that as well you're talking about team that's won seven of the last eight national championships at that level I believe in in a big playoff like that having to go and win all those games um that they do every year it'll be interesting you know they promoted their defensive coordinator um to head coach now to replace cleanman uh Matt Entz so it'll be interesting they try to keep that continuity as opposed to going out and trying to make a splash I guess so that's certainly worked for them in the past. It's hard to bet against them, at least in the short term. And you know, like you said, the replacing Easton Stick at quarterbacks going to be the the definite challenge for that program. But you know, they replaced Carson Wentz a few years ago and didn't really miss a beat. So I wouldn't put it past them to just continue dominating like they have been.
0: No, certainly. I'm, I'm really not concerned for that team in the least. They seem to be able to get it done offensively. And the thing is, is Clemen was a, a promotion from defensive coordinator as well. So really, the continuity is on the defensive side of the ball for that team. Because as, as celebrated as their quarterbacks have been, they get it done as much on you know when they don't have the ball as when they do. And so I think that's going to really serve them well in the, you know, the upcoming year and beyond. Uh, So, yeah, I think James Madison and, you know, North Dakota State are obviously one and two right now. And then you're looking at a bunch of teams like, you know, Maine made it to the, um, you know, the semifinals last year, South Dakota State made a good run last year. Um, you know, and then you have teams like it in the Big Sky. You've got UC Davis, you've got Eastern Washington. Um, you know, those teams are really always in the mix, and they're not going anywhere. Which I is, I think, the big thing to note. And you, you know, it, it's a deep field, but. It's really a deep field for sort of the seeds behind one and two, I think, because I'd be shocked to see it be anybody else besides James Madison and North Dakota State in some combination of one and two.
1: Yeah, do you think, what do you think about, you think this is maybe the year that South Dakota State has a chance to upend North Dakota State and, you know, take the conference title from them from them and then also potentially have an opportunity to maybe even win a national title because I mean they were they were pretty close last year, right? They're talking about a semifinal appearance for South Dakota State. They were kind of overwhelmed against Big Brother, as you would say in the in the semifinals last year. But they got to be looking at the the turnover at North Dakota State and kind of licking their chops, right?
0: Yeah, well, I, and I think it, you know if it's any time, the time is now for sure. It, it's one of those things with that team that they've got a good shot. The Missouri Valley Conference is one of the deeper conferences in the F- FCS level. Uh, but yeah, you know, I think that the Jackrabbits, um, you know, they're a great team. They, they've um, got a lot of weapons coming back, which I think is really the big thing to, to note about this team. They're great weapons all around. You know, they've got skill players. They've got a lot of depth along the lines. They've got Um, all the tools they need to really contend, especially against a a Byzantine that's untested in a starting role. Because a lot of those players, the, the rotation that North Dakota State uses is not necessarily something where you want to say these players are completely raw. They have some kind of experience on the field, but they're not tested in a you know, a dependable starting capacity, and so if South Dakota State has any chance, the time is now for them, and so, yeah, I think it is a real shot. I really do. I I don't think that um, it's a guarantee by any means, but like you said, this has to be their season. It really does, and you know, they. you look at how they played against North Dakota State last year, obviously, in the Dakota marker, and it was a 21-17 game when they played in the regular season, and then, you know, they have to play them again in the playoffs in the semifinals, and um, the wheels kind of came off there. You know, both times it was in Fargo, and this year they will get to play them at home in, uh, in Brookings, so... I I think that might work to their favor for sure.
1: Yeah, I, I think they definitely have a shot. Um, a lot of returning talent on that team for sure. Another team that's interesting to me that has gotten close but hasn't gotten over the hump in recent years that should be really tough out and has a ton of talent returning in the Big South is Kennesaw State. Yeah. Um, they have a lot of turnover, I know, though, too. Um, I believe they only return two starters on offense next season or this coming season. I guess it's hard to get in the habit of the fact that the season is literally this is the last month. A quick aside, this is the last month without a single college football game because next month, literally, we have college football starting. So that's really exciting. I just got super excited in the middle of the podcast. Sorry, everybody. Um, We like
0: the excitement. Thank you for the reminder.
1: Right. So, you know, they got to get over – Monmouth in the in the Big South, who's going to be a, certainly a challenge, but they've gotten so close in the last couple of years. Um, I think they've got a shot to get over the hump. You've got a team like Jacksonville State from the OVC, who has been, you know, perennially dominating the OVC in recent years. They have one conference loss over the past five seasons combined. Like that's insane. They've just dominated the Ohio Valley. They haven't quite gotten over the hump to win a national title, but they've come very close. They played in the, uh, it was two or three years ago at this point, Zach, they played North Dakota State for the national title. I yeah. want to say it was 20, 2017, I believe. It could have been 2016, I can't remember for sure, but they played for the national title against North Dakota State, ran into a buzzsaw, as so many teams have in the past, but, you know, was Derek Cooper back at quarterback, the Clemson transfer, Jacksonville State has a ton of talent. They kind of do things a lot differently than a team like North Dakota State. North Dakota State always seems like they have more of a homegrown talent, guys. That kind of they've recruited out of high school. Jacksonville State really relies on transfers, like especially uh, a lot of the guys at their skill positions are, you know, guys who left their current situations and took the opportunity to get the immediate eligibility by dropping down to the FCS. A, a, a good didn't really have anything to do with a preview, but an interesting thing is if the NCAA continues pushing. Um, or I guess if the powers that be continue pushing to make transfers immediately eligible across college football at any level, I wonder how that affects the talent that's kind of dropped down to the FCS going forward. Because you got to think it would have some effect. Some people are dropping down because they think they have the, the stage to shine. But a lot of folks are dropping down just they don't want to sit out that year. And that's something the FCS has been able to offer for years now. And if that's something now that, eventually changes to where other fbs programs can offer that immediate eligibility i wonder how that does ultimately affect that
0: i think that's a great question thank you for raising it um first of all thank you for bringing up jacksonville state i know that's uh definitely closer to home for you and uh
1: that was definitely a homer pick
0: exactly um, but it's a good one, definitely. I think they opened the season in the top. They're they're a single-digit team in the polls to open the season, for sure. Great pick. And uh, I think on the broader point about transfers, I just, yeah, I definitely want to touch on that for a moment since we have the time here. I, I think it could really have an effect on, on FCS schools especially because you only have the 63 scholarships, it really does benefit a school like a North Dakota state that does um, sort of look for that underappreciated talent that's closer to home. And especially now that they have a bigger national name, they're able to cast a wider net for those players who are overlooked at the FBS level you know it's really going to take something you're going to need a, a a person who is a really good recruiter in your your coaching position and you're going to need really good recruiters among your assistants um, to make it work once you have a rule in place and I say once you have a rule in place because we're definitely going in the direction toward more leniency in terms of transfer policy it's just the nature of the way it's going in terms of the way you've seen more waivers given over the pre you know the previous few years and the way that you've seen more agency for players i love it on one level and on another level like you said as somebody who follows the fcs it is a dangerous kind of game to be playing I think we have the risk of of um, seeing some of this belittled, but as we've talked about in previous podcasts, if you see more teams going down to this level, it's going to be inevitable that more talent sort of funnels down as well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's I think it is fascinating though to to think about the the ramifications and the the big picture of what actually happens when all this kind of changes and it is I think we are heading to the point where it will even though it wouldn't surprise me if it's one of those you take a step back before you take a step forward things where the NCAA tries to tighten the restrictions here shortly to try to get away from it because so many coaches are starting to complain um but eventually you're we are going to move towards that and you know that's again neither here nor there on what we were actually discussing um, in terms of the FCS, so I mean, I, I think we're pretty much in agreement though that it's definitely North Dakota State's to lose, probably still. See, um,
0: see honestly, in- I, I'm gonna check that for a moment because honestly, I'd put I, I'd put James Madison as 1A right now and put North okay. Dakota State as 1B. Um, I'm okay, he- wow. I, I'm hesitant to sort them like on a completely different tier, but. North Dakota State just has so many players that are stepping into more responsibility. And, you know, with a new coaching staff and everything, there is the the risk of a hiccup. Um, there's obviously that on both sides, but I, I think with new players as well, like when you have starters that are taking over, especially when it's a new coaching staff coming from outside, they're not going to shake things up too much a coaching staff coming from inside obviously not going to shake things too much either but you don't have as many players to shake up
1: well that's fair that's fair too because you're talking about a North Dakota State team that lost a pretty big and significant senior class that was so decorated and a James Madison team that returns almost all of their key players from last season even if you could also say you know they did finish what runner-up in their conference last year to Maine, who I wouldn't want to overlook either because no. Maine looked really tough um, in the playoffs last year. I remember watching them play Jacksonville State um, in the FCS playoffs last year and just demolishing a really, you know, a quality Jacksonville State team that has really been one of the, the top-end programs in the FCS over the last few years and just walloping them um, and giving them no, ream- no room to breathe. Um, so I, I don't want. I think that's a fascinating conference race between those two those two programs. Yeah. When you've got them kind of competing against each other, a really loaded James Madison squad that's you know got a new head coach, but returns virtually, I believe almost their entire defense. They lost Jimmy Moreland to the NFL, but they yeah. got ten other returning starters on defense. So that's pretty impressive. But I don't want to overlook Maine either, because I mean you're talking about they, you know, got humbled in the semis by Eastern Washington last year, but before that had made a really strong run to get as far as they got. Uh, so I think that's a fascinating conference race, but I think I would probably agree with James Madison being up there. Um, I it's hard to go against North Dakota state. So if I was doing a one, a one B, I would have to give them the one a just because of who they are. It's kind of the kind of the Alabama factor I guess on some of that kind of stuff or maybe the Clemson factor now that I think you got to give the benefit of the doubt to the champs I t-
0: I totally get it I totally do and uh you know speaking of conference races one I don't want to overlook because I'm a west coast guy even if I'm not going to be a west coast guy soon enough it's it's in my roots it's a com- you know it's a conference I actually got to cover on a campus level um, so I got to look at the big sky for a second because I think that's a a, a pretty open race. Obviously, Eastern Washington was in the finals last year. Um, they made it down to to Frisco, and I they've got you know half of half of their roster, you know their starting roster on both sides of the ball is gone. So. I, I think they've definitely got a push from UC Davis. The Aggies look really good this year. Um, and I think also you've got a push from Montana State because they've also got a lot of really good returning talent coming back. Um, 18 starters in total, if I'm not mistaken. They've only got a couple of players on each side of the ball who are gone this year. So, um I think Eastern Washington could very well. They're going to end up in the playoffs, don't get me wrong. But I don't know if they're going to end up with a seed this year, which is going to be interesting. They could be trying to make a run from the first round onward.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really fascinating race. Another team that could really make a run in there, as well as Weber State, I think. Weber State's a pretty quality program as well. So, I mean, that might be the most fascinating Um. Race If you're looking at depth, the big sky might have the most depth out of all the conferences. There's some fascinating, maybe more fascinating one, two races like with Maine and James Madison or or Kennesaw State and Monmouth and, you know, other conferences like that and everything. But I think in terms of depth, depth, I don't know if there's a deeper conference this year than the big sky. And, you know, like you said, with Eastern Washington, I do think that is wide open. Because of the the turnover they've had as well. so I think that's going to be a fascinating race to to really take a look at. It's hard to like just like North Dakota State, it's hard to bet against Eastern Washington because they've been so consistent and so good. but there's definitely some people lining up, some teams lining up to really take a shot at the throne
0: for sure. Yeah, I'm really excited for it, and obviously, you know, the top two teams sitting there at the top of the mountain are there to be picked off, and it's up to the rest of the teams to see if they can actually pull off that feat at this point, or if it's going to be, um, you know, a James Madison-North Dakota State final in Frisco this season. Um, on that note, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back to talk just a quick little bit about historical black colleges and universities and what we might see in the Celebration Bowl race. Uh, stay tuned. Welcome back to the Saturday Blitz podcast, everybody, after the break. I'm Zach Bagalki, back with John Mitchell. Uh, we've just finished talking about the FCS and really the race for the playoffs, but the beauty of the FCS is that it's really a, a sort of a divided system. You know, we look at um the playoffs as sort of the main event, but um you have several different races as well. Um the Ivy League, for instance, does not have any um affiliation with the playoff. Its teams um don't don't uh play postseason games. And so that's one race where the Ivy League is sort of the progenitor of college football as we go into the 150th anniversary of the game, um, has a unique place. And then also, as we mentioned before the break, you have the historical black colleges and universities, sort of the flip side of the coin. You have the universities that you know, we were born out of privilege. And then the universities that were born out of necessity for the fact that um, African Americans didn't have a place to actually go to school until these institutions were created. And, um, you know, the rich histories that were born out of each of these different veins of college football are, are something I, uh, that we both really wanted to touch on before we close out our look at the FCS this week. So which one would you like to start with, John?
1: You know, I think it's the the Celebration Bowl has always been something that's really been interesting to me because you've got a, a team in, in North Carolina A&T that's proven to be one of the best FCS teams, period, regardless of conference and everything. And they, you know, would have the opportunity if the conferences so choose to compete in the playoffs and, you know, potentially for a national championship. But the Celebration Bowl has so much meaning beyond that for these schools and the opportunity to play in a bowl game, an NCAA sanctioned bowl game, um, which is always one of the more fun bowl games to me every, every year as well. Um, if nothing else, then for the performances by the bands at halftime, which is just just phenomenal and Unbelievable. mind-blowing. Just blows away anything any other FBS program can put out there, or FCS, or any level, for that matter, can really put out there. Um, that's just as good as the game, and I know it means a lot to a lot of people as well. Um, one of my really good friends from college went to an HBCU, and I didn't realize how big bands were, because... You know, I never cared because I was always focused on the football games. So just really learning about the history of that and how important that was and how they would go to games just for the band show more so than the football games as well. It was kind of fascinating to really dig into that world. So, you know, I I think in, in terms of the Celebration Bowl, when you're talking about the HBCU National Championship, it all starts and stops with North Carolina A&T right now. Um, they're the team to beat. Um, in the in the MiAC and probably out of all the HBCUs anyway, but uh, I've heard a lot of good things and I haven't you know done a ton of research on on this yet, but I've heard a lot of good things about both Florida A&M and Howard in the MiAC this year, supposedly having really good squads that could challenge A&T for the for the title. Um, so I don't know I don't know what you've heard or what you've seen, Zach. I know this has been something you've been focusing on a lot more recently. Uh, too. So maybe you can give me a little more insight on that as well.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I, I obviously, as you said, North Carolina A and T is where it where it begins and ends in terms of who you have to go through at this point. You know, they've won three of the four Celebration Bowls that have been held so far, and it, it's 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 really been impressive as can be to see how they've dominated at that level. And I'm with you where, on one level, I really wish we could see them, um, you know, playing for... Uh, the FCS title and the playoffs and just really getting to see how they stack up against a team like a North Dakota State or a James Madison or an Eastern Washington or, you know, even South Dakota State or whoever else they'd hit along the way. Um, I think it'd be a really fun game to see. And, I uh, you know, I think in terms of the Mideastern, you know, the Mideastern Athletic Conference, it, it It's really their race to lose. Um, Florida A&M does look really good this season. Howard looks um, like they could be, you know, a team that pushes them. Um, I think you really hit on the two teams that have the best chance of of playing any sort of spoiler role. Um, But at the same time, you know, A&T is where it's at right now. And I I, I think it's really a safe bet to put them into the Celebration Bowl again at this point. Um, The interesting thing for me will be to see whether they get put into the FCS top 25 because, um, as you know, it's not uh, relegated solely to those teams that can make the playoffs. You regularly see, um, you know, NEAC teams and Southwest Athletic Conference teams and even Ivy League teams, they're in that poll regularly. So um, I'll be really interested to see if they make it in the preseason. Um, It's possible. Honestly, though, the team I think that has a better chance of making it is Alcorn State out of the the SWAC. So... um, that's really going to be interesting for me. I, I think they've got, um, you know, just a great team. Fred McNair has done a great job with the Braves there at Alcorn State. Um, great roster coming back. And I think if any team is going to push uh, NCA and T, it's, it, it's not going to be anybody else in their own conference, but it's going to be when they finally get to the Celebration Bowl. And play who I think is going to be Alcorn
1: State, right? And to touch on to touch on the thing with uh with A and T as well that you were mentioning, I to me, you know <laughs> Howard or A and M both quality programs, both you know really expect to be able to push them this year. But to me, like to to I guess put it in FBS terms for those of the listeners who don't maybe follow the FCS as closely it would be equivalent of Clemson not winning the ACC this year. Does that sound fair, Zach? If, if, if A&T wasn't able to win the MEAC, that would be akin to Clemson coming up short in the ACC. That's how big of a favorite I would put A&T as in their conference, just like Clemson in the ACC.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really fair comparison. If you're going to look at any Power 5 conference, the ACC is probably the most locked up at this point. Um it, it, it's definitely the Tigers to lose, just like it is A and T's to lose. Um, you're not going to see. Uh, if you do see another team come through it and take them down for for the trip to the Celebration Bowl. Um, boy, I don't even know what I would put on the table for that bet, but I'd be willing to put a healthy bet on a being there. So um, they'll be in New Orleans. It, 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 it's sort of one of those market. And like I said, on the other side of the table, I, I really think Alcorn State has the best chance of getting through the, the, the swag this year.
1: Yeah, yep. Alcorn State's definitely quality. Southern won the other division in the SWAC last year as well, so they <laughs> I think they've got a definite shot to knock off Alcorn State and potentially make the Celebration Bowl as well. I think one of the interesting programs to me is kind of the direction that Grambling State's been going. Um, especially last year, they slipped to six and five. You're talking about maybe the I mean the preeminent program of the HBCUs over the last you know, however long with Eddie Robinson as the yeah. head coach, you know, they've made the, the, the change now with him gone. Um, and I think it's going to be interesting to see uh, with Broderick Forbes entering, I believe his sixth season at Grambling now, yeah. what he's able to do. Cause that's a really proud program. You're talking about going six and five last year um, after really, be in the preeminent program, not just in the SWAC, but among the HBCUs and their standing has kind of slipped in recent years. So I don't know. I think it's a really big year for him. Yeah. Um to make that um to make that jump and to try to get them back into contention, potential contention for the celebration bowl. I don't think they have the team to do it. No. This year, I really don't. Um but you know, the, like I said, this is a, a a proud program that you know expects to be among the the best of the best of the HBCUs and should be competing for Celebration Bowls. And it's been kind of tough going, uh, at least last year, and could get even tougher this year as they're not really on the radar as legit contenders in the SWAC this season. So it'll be interesting to see if maybe they can surprise, which is kind of weird to say with Grambling that they could surprise and maybe try to take a run at um, both, both Southern and Alcorn State for that conference title and, you know, burrs into the Celebration Bowl. But I think it's probably unlikely. But that's one of the more fascinating, I guess, storylines that I'll try to be focusing on uh, this coming season.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, and, and, yeah, I think the thing is is Grambling was their, um, you know, their fall last year was especially interesting because they were there in, in – in the Celebration Bowl the previous two years, um, you know, in 2016, the one year that NC and T didn't make it out of the MEAC when it was NC Central playing for the game, Grambling came up and won a tight 10-9 game and actually won the HBCU National Championship that year. And since then, you know, in 2017, they went back and, and lost the 21-14 game to a They t You know, the Aggies took them down. And then, like you said, last year, falling to six wins. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if that's a trend this year. Like you said, the team itself, um, they don't have as seasoned a season to roster as other teams in the SWAC. And so it it's really hard to project them as a team that's going to make a ton of waves in that conference. But if they don't, the coaching staff could have some heads roll. And um, and, and on one hand, that's a shame because, you know, there's only so much you can do with the talent that you have. And on the other hand, it is the coaching staff's responsibility to get that talent in there. And at this point, you've had enough time to build up that roster. And if one year is a blip, that's okay. It, it really is. You know, a six and five blip is not the worst thing in the world. If you go to an, you know, your your third celebration bowl in four years, um, but really, yeah, it's sort of one of those things where it's that or bust, or you're at least playing in the SWAC championship game, um even if you don't win that game. You know, I think if you you get there out of the division, you're probably safe for another year. Um, Pretty much across the board, it's the coaching staff. But, you know, if you don't get there at least and you don't at least look competitive, you're going to at least see coordinators sort of peeling off.
1: Yeah, it's the curse of expectations, right? You're at a school where six and five as kind of your down years is really unacceptable it's not something they're used to having to abide Um, and at certain schools that's something you can deal with you can have the down year and be able to build off of that and you know they had a young team last year as well and they have a little more experience this year so we'll see Uh, but I think that is definitely an interesting storyline but I mean definitely definitely NCA&T and then Alcorn State who You know, it it wouldn't surprise me in the least. It it would probably be an upset at this point if we didn't get a a Celebration Bowl 2019 rematch from last season.
0: Yeah, I I think it's probably the safest bet at this point that we're going to see those two teams playing again for the the crown. And so, yeah, um, I think that really covers HBCUs pretty well. Um, Looking for a bit at the Ivy League, I You know, I didn't mention this ahead of time, but it's something I do want to touch on quickly, especially just because we're looking at, you know, college football coming up on its 150th year and the Ivy League, as we've mentioned throughout the podcast and talking about some of the stadiums that we'd like to see and, um, you know, just some of the historic teams and the historic coaches that have made a difference over the years. Um, I, I think it's something that we, we shouldn't overlook, especially because they don't take part in the playoff. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think the big thing for me is, is looking at, um, you know, it, it, it really looks like uh, Yale is going to have a good team this year. Um, they're probably going to be ranked in the top 25. You could also see a really good Princeton team this year. Um, you know, they went 10-0 last year, but they lost a couple of key parts. They, they, they lost, a, you know, a big chunk of their skill positions on offense. Quarterback, running back, receivers are gone. Um, I, I think uh, two or three of their top receivers as well. So, they're, they have a lot to replenish in terms of their skill positions, but they have a good base of players on offense in terms of their line. And so it'll be interesting to see how the Tigers retool. Um, but yeah, I really think it comes down to the Bulldogs and the Tigers this year if we're looking at Ivy League football and, and who's going to win that race.
1: Yeah, I'd say Dartmouth is a team that could be kind of a dark horse in the Ivy League as well. I think they've got a shot to maybe take out Yale or Harvard, but I think Yale's definitely the favorite. I think that's uh they had some some pretty tough injury luck last year that knocked them off the their pedestal as the um, you know, perennial favorite in the Ivy League, but I think it's pretty easy to see um them as the favorite and uh You know, Princeton's right there. Harvard's right there, too. And I think Dartmouth's got a really good shot at potentially fighting uh, for that conference crown. But I'm glad you did bring up the Ivy League because it is impossible to really discuss, and really especially going into college football's 150th um, anniversary season. It's it's impossible to discuss the history of the game without talking about the Ivy League and the impact programs like Yale, like Princeton, like Harvard had on the game that we actually see today. And, you know, they're not in the... in the spotlight anymore because they're in the FCS because they don't get nationally televised games. But these are some of the most historic, not just colleges, obviously colleges period, but also just you're discussing college football, some of the most historic sites we talked about weeks ago on the podcast, kind of bucket list stadiums that you and I would both like to visit. And we both mentioned, you know, Yale and Harvard as places would like to go specifically to watch the Yale, Yale and Harvard play against one another at one of their uh, stadiums or at both of their stadiums. Maybe you get to go back to back years or something like that would kind of be the dream um, to be able to do that.
0: Totally. I think you also mentioned Franklin field for Penn, didn't you?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. Franklin field. Yes.
0: Yeah. So uh, yeah, I I, I think it's one of those things where it's such a rich history that it, it, it is always a fun race to watch. And Honestly with the advent of tele you know, just the 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 widespread T V contracts and, you know, non stop football to watch during when we're actually in the season, um, you can actually catch some some great Ivy League games if you are looking out for them. So if that is something you're interested out there, listeners, uh definitely drop me a line on Twitter. I'll be happy to direct you where you need to go to watch some Ivy League football. Um, Or for that matter, HBCU football, because, you know, let's give love to all the football out there. That's sort of what I want to leave us with here today is, uh, just the fact that there's a lot of great football out there. And even as we continue to preview on into, uh, First, the Group of Five race looking for that accessible bid into the New Year's Six, and then looking at the Power Five conferences one by one. Keep in mind these little guys, because, you know, the Little Sisters of the Poor ain't so poor in terms of the entertainment value that they can offer.
1: Absolutely. And I mean, I think everyone listening to the podcast would kill for an FCS game to be on TV tonight or tomorrow or something like that. (laughs) um at this point of the off season.
0: Oh my goodness. Right now I am it, honestly if ESPN create, created a network where they just looped some of the you know ESPN plus content that they'd had just sort of streaming online over the course of the season and only online I I, I would watch that pretty much nonstop when I was home. Um so on one hand Get on that e s p n and on the other hand, <laughs> um hold back e s p n for the sake of my marriage, so <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, thanks again, John. Always so great to get to talk with you here um as we get to do every week, and thank you to all you listeners out there,
1: yeah, yeah, thank you for everyone who's been listening every week and Zach, special shout-out to you for always being super flexible and kind of carrying the torch for me and everything like this uh, with everything I've had going on, so I appreciate you.
0: Hey, always a pleasure. Um, Like, you know, it's always great to get to revive these old traditions that we've had, especially leading into the season as we begin our first set of previews in podcast form. Yeah,
1: absolutely. the the tailgater lives on just in a new media format
0: cheers to that well and cheers to all of you out there um we're going to be signing off for now but we'll be back with you next wednesday to take a look at the group of five so uh have yourself a great week and uh tune in again